a, a broken vessel such as me uh, to, to preach the word to your people. That uh, we know that you can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that your spirit would be pleased to use me in speaking to your people. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing our study in the book of James. We're in James chapter 5. We're going to be reading the first six verses. So I would ask you, if you're able, please stand together with me for the reading of God's word. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your, your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and, and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you may be seated. ask you to take note of the uh, outline in your bulletin. You see at the top of it the, uh, the title for the sermon. If you've been with us, and, and I think everyone in here has been with us through the, the teaching of James, you notice that, that the title of every sermon has been Living as a Christian, um, and then how it is that we, we live as a Christian in the midst of trials and temptations, living as a Christian without a favoritism, living as a Christian faith and deeds, living in Christian in our speech, and, and so on and so forth. And this time, the title is different. Uh, it's not saying living as Christians. Um, I, I think uh, certainly James's audience throughout this letter are the first century Christians, and he wants to instruct them what it means to live as a Christian. But as you look at this passage today, uh, these first six verses of, of chapter 5, it seems that he, his audience may have changed just a little bit. And he may be talking to individuals who are within the church and maybe even call themselves Christians, but it seems like James is not placing them in the, in the same body of believers. Uh, notice how he addresses them. Um, now listen, you rich people, you rich people. This is, this is different from the way James has uh, addressed uh, the individuals throughout this letter. You see it uh, if you look back in chapter 4, look at verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Um, and, and so on. And then in, in chapter 5, verse 7, we'll get back to um, in, in several weeks. But uh, he'll pick it up again. Be patient in brothers. And you see he's... He's continuing in most of this letter to talk to brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. But at this time, he's not calling them brothers. He says, you rich people. And he's not saying it as a, a positive thing. 
And I think there's one other reason we see that I believe James, James is changing his audience here. He's not offering them instruction or even exhortation. He's offering condemnation to them. Uh, you see it here. Um, it, it's almost as if you were reading one of the prophets here when he's saying, you rich people, weep and well because of the misery that is coming upon you and so on. He's, he's not offering uh, instruction of how to live or anything like that. He's, he's rather condemning them. It does sound very much like one of the Old Testament prophets. But I do believe that as we read this, um, we can find much in it for ourselves who are believers and who are Christians. And I, I believe there's at least uh, two ways in which uh, believers in the church can, can benefit through looking at this passage that's addressed to those rich people who are doing these awful things. And, and one of the things I believe it is to help us change our attitude towards material wealth. Um, we so often, you know, we drove down to uh, Denton yesterday and there's this signs, big billboard up talking about the, the, the lottery and uh, it's got two different ones, and I guess one of them's Mega Millions and then Powerball, and I think it was Powerball. Over $300 million if you win that. You can't hardly look at that but think, wow, what could I do with $300 million? I don't know that I could spend that much. Um, but you have to think, maybe I'll win. Probably not because I didn't buy a ticket. But, you know, we, we, we need to think along these lines, you know. If, do I look at that and go, $300 million, that would, that would cure everything that's wrong for me, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Um, we need to remember that. Now, James is not saying, and Paul's not saying in these places, that having, uh, having any kind of wealth is, is evil. Um, but the love of wealth and the desire to have it and, and pursuing that and that only leads to all kinds of evil. J.C. Ryle said it is possible to love money without without having it, and it's possible to have money without loving it. And that is true. You, you don't have to be a wealthy person to have this problem here. It's the love of money that is the problem. We need to have a proper attitude towards finances. And if God has given it to us, we need to have a proper attitude of not holding on to it too strongly. We'll see some of that as, as we go and look at the sins of the wealthy in just a minute. A second thing that we can do, and so first of all, as believers, we need to, as we look at this passage, have it correct maybe our understanding of our attitude towards material wealth and the thing that uh, wealth can bring to us. Secondly, as believers in the church, we can benefit by recognizing God's provisions and defense of the needy. Look in verse 4. Um, when he's, he's talking to me, he says, Look, the, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your field are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Who's, who is at the defense of the poor? Who is there standing for the poor? 
Well, it's the Lord himself, the Lord Almighty, the one mighty in battle against injustice. He is the one who stands uh, for us. And as we, we need to recognize that he is the one who we truly need, not necessarily all of the uh, $300 million from the Powerball, right? We need the Lord and his blessing and his giving, and he's the one who, who protects and provides for us. And so as we look at this passage, we need to be reminded of that as believers. And so this morning, let's uh, dig into this passage and see what it, the, the, the uh, warning um, against uh, the, these uh, rich, uh, he calls them uh, you rich uh, people. Uh, let's look at what he says to them. First thing he says to them, we find in verses 1 through 3, is that misery is coming to the rich. Um, listen, you rich people, weep and well because of the misery that is coming to you. They placed all of their confidence in their wealth and look what has happened to it, verse 2. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and, your and eat your flesh like fire. Um, it reminds us of Jesus' word on the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapter 6. You may recall where he's talking about wealth and some of these same ideas that James is is uh, putting up here uh, for us uh, come from the mouth of Jesus when he says on the Sermon on the Mount do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal it's very similar to what James is telling us these kinds of things uh, happen um, so if you put your, your trust in these things, uh, it's not good. We, we see it quite often uh, in our world today. We see people who put all their money in different uh, uh, investments, and they wind up losing it all. You remember several years ago, the real estate market, and how so many people have, had put so much money into the real estate, the, the prices were way out there, especially in California and Florida and stuff. And you remember the crash of the real estate market and people lost their shirts, figuratively speaking. Um, if we're putting our, our faith in those sorts of things, it, it will be gone. Um, material wealth has a way of vanishing. John MacArthur said, money talks, but all it ever says to me is goodbye. That seems to be the case with me too, right? Money speaking, goodbye. Several years ago, um, there was a movie, a, a famous movie called Out of Africa. I don't know if any of you remember seeing that movie, Out of Africa, but it was about this uh, baroness, this uh, Danish baroness, uh, Karen Blixen, and uh, she moved to Africa, and they got a whole bunch of land, and were, she went, I think, with the thought of raising cattle there, but instead they decided they would grow coffee there. And it took years and years for the coffee. And so they, they go through times where 
um, they just didn't know how they were going to continue on living. And so finally, the year comes when the, when the coffee crops uh, blossom, and man, their barns are full of it, and more of it's coming, and they're looking for this incredible uh, wealth that they're going to get from all of the coffee that they raised, only to be woken up one night by a strange light out in the dark, otherwise darkness, and their fields had caught on fire. And all of, the, all of the storage sheds where they put all this coffee caught on fire. And within a matter of hours, they lost everything. All of the stuff that they planned on providing for them for years to come, it was gone. It happens, doesn't it? Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 3 that a time is coming when everything will be tested by fire. We, we need to realize that the day is coming when all of our material possessions will no longer matter. I've heard it said you never see a hearse, uh, uh, you never see a hearse followed by uh, a Brinks truck, right? When, when you die, all the stuff that you've accumulated is, is not going to matter anymore. If our whole being is consumed with material things, the time is coming, we will lose it all. You can lose it all maybe sooner rather than later, but if, if your whole being is consumed with material wealth and the gain of material wealth and the things that material wealth can bring you, you're going to lose it all. And misery can come with that, especially if that's where all of your focus is. And you lose it. It's going to be miserable. That's what James is saying here. You've lost it. That your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. What a miserable thing. And so he's saying, weep and wail because of this misery that's coming on you. All of these things that you're looking to for your, for your happiness and your joy in life, they are gone. And only misery is going to last. The early church, I think, knew and understood this. And they knew that material wealth can only bring temporal happiness. I want you to look at what they did. If you hold your place here in James because we'll certainly be back. But look with me over in Acts chapter 2. There you go. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, look at the way the early church acted. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. <laughs> they didn't hold on to their possessions so tightly that, that, uh, that they trusted in that. Rather, they were going to trust in the provisions that God had given. And again, in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 through 37, It says about the early church, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses, by the way, that's how they judged their, 
their wealth back in lands and houses and cattle and stuff. And he said, for, from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. How, how tightly were they holding on to their wealth? Well, they understood that that's not what life is about. That's not what's going to bring us happiness. If, if all of our life is consumed with our wealth, the time is coming. We will lose it. Better to, better to give to the Lord with it even now. And so we see the coming misery of the rich who's placed all of their faith and their trust in their, in their wealth and the time is coming. It is going to be gone and it will cause incredible misery. I want you to look at some specific uh, sins of the rich that uh, James mentions in this passage. We'll meet at the very end of verse, uh, verse 3, back in James chapter 5. He says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. You have hoarded Wealth. I don't know if you ever see the show on television. I've not ever watched an episode of it, but you kind of run through occasion if the television's on. And about these hoarders, and their ha they can't even move around their house. It's so full of junk. Well, hoarding is, is just taking and, and holding on to it, not ever letting it go. I don't know if you've uh, seen the commercial. There's one commercial where uh, this older gentleman is supposedly, I guess, having a garage sale and have all these people there wanting to buy his stuff, and someone say, how much for this? And he go, oh, that's not for sale. Holding on to everything he has, his daughter calls him on the phone, asking him how it's going. He says, oh, people love my stuff, but he hasn't sold a single thing because he's holding on to it too tight. The rich uh, seem to want to hoard all that they have, maybe. That's not a good thing. John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough? And his response was, a little bit more. A little bit more. Didn't quite have enough. Even though we would compare, uh, you, you know, if you're a rich person, uh, you'd always use Rockefeller as, the, you know, uh, talking about how rich you were. He's as rich as a Rockefeller, you know. And it means incredibly wealthy. Now, it's not, I want you to understand, Scripture's not poo-pooing the idea of of having wealth, it, it is clear that leaving an inheritance to your children is a good thing. And I think it's a good thing if children uh, who raise up and, and have enough to help provide for their parents in times, that, that's a good thing. But simply to have a large bank account for the sake of having a large bank account seems to be wrong. This is what Jesus tells a parable about the rich man. You remember the rich man who had all these fields and he didn't have enough barns to, to put all the, his uh, produce in. So he says, I'll tear these down, build new ones, and then I can uh, eat, drink, and be merry the rest of my life. I'll be fine. And Jesus says, this, this day, you know, your life will be taken from you. Every year, uh, a list comes out of the most wealthy people in the world. We look at that and go, wow, wouldn't it be great to be that, that wealthy? But if they're hoarding it, it's, it's a bad thing. Now, I want to give you an example of, of, uh, 
someone who I think does the opposite with it. Um, in my hometown, I call it my hometown, El Dorado, Arkansas, there's a family, a Murphy family. If you ever buy gasoline at Walmart, you see it says Murphy. That's them, Murphy family. Very wealthy family. They've done something for El Dorado. They're returning uh, some of their wealth. They've done something for El Dorado where they say, if you, start, if you start school in El Dorado in kindergarten and you go all the way through high school and you graduate high school in the El Dorado schools, what we're going to do for you is pay your, um, pay your tuition wherever you want to go to college. Uh, in, in the state of Arkansas. Um, and if you decide to go to school outside of the state of Arkansas, what we'll do is we'll take the, uh, whatever the highest tuition is in the state of Arkansas, we'll pay that for you to go to a school outside of Arkansas. What, what are they doing with their wealth? Well, they're not holding on to it or hoarding it. They're sharing it the way I think Christians should. So I think that's a good thing. Um, but uh, these people that James is talking about here, talking about hoarding the money and, and, and keeping it to themselves, it's not a good thing. A second thing he mentions here, we find in verse 4, he says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. They failed to pay those who work uh, for them. Uh, Leviticus Chapter 19, verse 13. We see that this is uh, something the law of the Lord forbids. <clears throat> it says, Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of the hired man overnight. If you hire somebody to work for you, you pay them at the end of the day, was the idea. If you hold it back, that is... You might be holding back them, able to purchase food for that day. And uh, James is saying, you, you fail to pay those who work for you. Or maybe you say, I'll, I'll pay you next week. You had it, but you want to maybe save it to gain uh, some more with your money for a while. So you fail to pay them. You do wrong. Again, another sin we find in verse 5 about wages. He says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You lived in luxury and self-indulgence. That's all that our money is supposed to do, make us live in luxury and self-indulgence. Uh, doesn't seem to be the way of the Christian. Um, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out his 12 to go into the community and spread the gospel of, of the kingdom of God having come. And he tells them, when they go, don't take anything extra. Take what you got on and go with that. And Jesus is sending them out without all this luxury and self-indulgence. One time an individual came to Jesus asking to be his disciple and follow him, and you remember Jesus' response. He says, you know, the birds of the air have their nests and foxes have their holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
because of the appeal of luxury, it's difficult for the rich to come into the kingdom of God. Matthew 19, uh, Jesus talks about the rich young ruler who comes to him and wanting to follow him. What must I do? And Jesus says, obey the commandments. Well, I've done all of these since I was young. Jesus says, well, you've got one more thing to do. Go and take all that you have and sell it. Take the money, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And you remember the young man's reaction. His countenance fell, and he turns and he walks away. Because, you see, his life was about his wealth. His life was about the luxury that he found in that. He wasn't able to really enjoy the Lord because he enjoyed the things of this world. And when we enjoy the things of this world more than we enjoy God, even when we enjoy the blessings that God has given us more than we enjoy Him, we are in error. These guys were in error because they're living their life in luxury and self-indulgence. Verse 6. We see another issue that these rich have had. He says, uh, you have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Condemned and murdered innocent men. Um, maybe not literally, but certainly in, in many ways. You, you may have heard of the golden rule. That the golden rule means that he who has the gold makes the rules. Well, it seems that they may have thought this as well. And we hoard it and we keep it to ourselves and no one else can have it. And in a sense, by not sharing and not helping to provide for those in need, uh, it's like murdering innocent men. We often see justice turn a blind eye uh, when there's a great deal of money involved. We see it with Washington special interest groups. Might be a good uh, bill before uh, the Congress or whatever, and yet special bothered these special interests. They go and they bribe the congressmen to vote a different way, so good bills don't get passed. It is just wrong to use finances to promote injustice, and yet we see it happening in our world all the time. We're told in this passage that God will judge such actions. God will be the one who's on the side of the poor and the down and the downhearted. As Christians this morning, we must take this warning to heart. We often pray for material possessions, money to pay our bills and these sorts of things. Pray that the Lord would, would give it to us, but so often we're praying for our own selfish desires. Maybe instead of praying for the material wealth that comes from the world, we should be praying that God's kingdom would come. Even that's the way Jesus instructed us, right? Praying that the kingdom would come. Now, there's comparison in, uh, of, of the wealth that God gives us and the wealth that the world can provide for us. Um, I want you to hear about the wealth that God gives us. Romans chapter 
Well, let's, let's look at Ephesians first. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 7. Uh, let's go back to verse, I guess, start in verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us all and the one he loves. In him we have received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He has made us known the mystery according to his good pleasure, and he's put in effect the times uh, will have reached their fullness to bring all things in heaven and on earth uh, together under one head in him. He has lavished all of these blessings upon us. He's given us every good thing in the spiritual realm in Christ Jesus. What a glorious thing. And then Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, about the wealth and the, and the blessings that God will bring to us. He says, I, can, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. God has incredible riches for each of the, those of us who are his children. Not necessarily the material blessings that we see in this world in right here and right now, but I want you to know that these things in this world will pass. They're guaranteed to be lost to us at some point. But the blessings that God gives us are eternal. Given by God, we cannot lose them. He will not take them away from us. Shouldn't those be the things that we pursue? Shouldn't those be the things that we rejoice in? This time of year when we think about Christ Jesus leaving the all of the riches and glory of coming to earth, taking on the poverty of, of human flesh so that he could reap for us those same riches that he had left temporarily in heaven and their promise for us for all eternity. Shouldn't that be our joy in life? I hope it is. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, as we have seen a passage where we're reminded about the wealth that this world provides, recognize that it is temporal, that it will, can, be, uh, can rot, that it can be eaten by moths, that uh, rust can come in and corrupt it. It does not last, and it will not last. Why, Lord, do we continue to pursue it as if it is an end-all of, of, of our being. Help us, Lord, to pursue and to understand um, the, the material blessings of this world in a proper light. Help us to use it, that, that which you have given to us, to spread the gospel throughout this community and throughout this world and help us to have a proper understanding of the wealth that you have promised for us in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, let's turn to the hymn number 211. Let's stand together.
Again, as we sing, and God rest you, Mary, gentlemen. Thank you.